0: How do they go about exploring it further? Now, on today's show, our focus is going to be on security risk management. This is an industry that is focused on helping organizations assess the risk associated with operating in high-risk environments around the world. So, as an example, let's say you're a company that is thinking about sending out ships into an area that has high level of pirate activity then you could take the help of a firm that specializes in security risk management and they can help you assess the risk associated with this operation, as well as suggest strategies that you could consider to mitigate this risk. So to help us understand this industry, as well as what it is like to work in this industry, our guest on today's show is Pauline lamare Pauline is an analyst with a company called Bergen Risk Solutions. This is a company based in Norway, and they work with a variety of organizations such as oil, gas and shipping companies, humanitarian organizations, as well as government agencies to help them assess the risk of investing and operating in different regions around the world. Pauline herself has a background in international relations and conflict analysis, and she has been working in this industry for more than six years now, so she comes with a huge amount of experience behind her. And on today's show, she'll be sharing a lot of very interesting and useful details about both this industry as well as what it's like to work in this industry. So without further ado, let's switch over to Pauline. Hey, Pauline, how are you? Thank you for
1: joining us. Hi, I'm fine, thanks. I'm happy to be
0: here. Yeah, thanks a lot. To be honest, I hadn't heard about this industry before speaking with you, so I'm actually very curious to learn what you're going to say about this space. It sounds very exciting. (laughs) Yeah, so um, you are originally from France, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Okay. And then did you move to Norway for this job or something else?
1: Um, I actually followed my partner to Norway and then I found this job.
0: Ah, I see. Okay. So you've been in Norway for how long now? Uh, Six years. Six years. Amazing. Okay. So pretty much then for the duration of this job. Absolutely. Okay. And then I'm guessing that since you've spent so long in Norway, you've seen the Northern Lights?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Oh man, I'm so jealous. What is it like? What do they look like?
1: It looks really magical. Do you understand how big the universe probably is? Or how much bigger than you expect it is?
0: How many colors have you seen the Northern Lights in?
1: Uh, Mostly green. uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I'm so jealous because uh, I and a few of my friends, we took a trip to Iceland a few years back in the dead of winter. And the sole purpose of that trip was to see Northern Lights. And we stayed there for a week. We were frozen cold the entire time. And we didn't see anything. It was pitch black. So, it, oh. yeah, I was very unfortunate. <laughs> it stays on my bucket list now. as something that I want to do once in my life.
1: Yeah, but anyway, uh, it's so sad. Yeah, and um, this year has been particularly good for Northern Lights. Oh, really? My is really good, yeah. I live in the rainiest city in Norway, so of course. Oh, I I see. see. But other parts of Norway move to the north. They see it very often.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. I guess that's where I'm going the next time I'm trying to see Northern Lights. Um, But anyway, so as you heard, we'll be asking you a lot of questions to try and understand this industry as well as what your job is. So to get started, maybe you can
1: give us a little bit
0: of an introduction and your career path so far.
1: So I studied in France, international relations and conflict analysis, and I studied in what we call in French, which basically it's a master's degree.
0: Okay, so it's a master's master's degree in what? Sorry, I didn't catch that.
1: In um, international relations. Got it. With a focus on conflict analysis.
0: And then right after your master's, you joined Bergen Resolutions.
1: Yeah, as part of my master's, I first spent six months working in London in an NGO, so in a non-governmental organization. It's called Global Witness, and they focus on corruption and the use of uh, natural resources to finance conflict. I
0: see. Okay. Okay. So you were working with that NGO when you found the work interesting?
1: Yeah, I... I was very interested in business in conflict areas. That's what I was interested in.
0: What sparked your interest in this area in the first place?
1: Um, well it was meeting with so many people working in oil industry and uh, other mineral, mineral industries and seeing how they were going to very interesting places and meeting challenges meeting in areas where the difference of living is so big and where there is conflict and they still manage to go and work there. And I was wondering, how do companies do in those contexts? Mm-hmm.
0: Could you share an example of what you might have heard from one of these people you met?
1: Yeah, for ex- the most famous example in the oil industry is traveling to Nigeria. So Nigeria has a, is a big oil producing country where they have had a political uprising for a long time in which local people grouped themselves in militias and would attack and kidnap oil employees for ransom. Oh wow, okay. And this was partly uh, that they would make money because they don't have access to uh, yeah, food, water, health, and that kind of things. And it was partly politics. To, to protest against what the oil companies were doing in the area and to protest against the corruption level in the country. Okay. And so people traveling to Nigeria, first they usually didn't want to, and then they were telling me about all those security measures that had to be taken.
0: So when you heard about these stories, that's what sparked your initial interest in getting into the industry
1: yourself? Absolutely. I was interested in... The impact of the business in the areas they are working in, and that's why I worked at Global Witness and then I was also interested in understanding how did I do it and that's what sparked my interests uh, in the security risk industry, and that's why I was really happy to find the job I found in Bagger. yeah, yeah,
0: so um I think it'd be interesting to get a little bit of an overview of the security risk industry. What are the different areas, and then where does Bergen Risk Solution itself come in?
1: Well, the security risk industry, it's mostly, the way I see it, two big areas. One is operational, so it's security people that will secure a facility, for example, or an armed escort that will uh, come with uh, people traveling to dangerous parts of the country. Or across the ocean, for example. Got and it. the second part of the security risk industry, it's what I do more. It's intelligence analysis. So it's understanding what your client will be doing, understanding the, the threat where the client will be working, and then helping the client see his vulnerabilities to those threats and help him mitigate it. I and that's risk management. Got it.
0: Okay. So then I'm guessing there are some companies that exist in this industry which are more on the operational side, some companies which are more on the intelligence side, which is like the company that you're working with, and then maybe there are some bigger companies that do both. Absolutely. I see. Okay. Your title is risk analyst, right? It's just
1: analyst, actually. But
0: yeah. Okay. And does the role get referred to by any other name in the industry?
1: Um, I don't think it does.
0: It's usually we use analyst okay so if you were to describe what an analyst in security risk management does what would you say
1: well you're first asked to understand what your client is going to be doing so for example we work with the shipping industry and so we'll understand which boat are you going to use how fast is it uh, how high above the sea level is it above the water and then we see, we look at where you are going to travel and research and understand what is happening there and what is its impact on your activities. The way I work is I take my client, I try to understand what he does, and then I start trying to understand where he goes, and that goes with reading newspapers, Twitter, a, a lot of resources online, talking with people, and then I try to make sense of it all.
0: Mm -hmm. so uh, maybe can you give us an example of a project that you worked on and uh, give us a breakdown on the different kind of things that you analyzed and what you suggested to the client
1: yeah so for example um, the shipping company they own a ship that is used for uh, oil services and they want to go from norway to singapore And so they tell me how high the ship is above the the waterline. They tell me how fast it goes. I get pictures. And they tell me we are going to go across the Suez Canal. That's between Egypt and Israel. Or that's in Egypt basically. And then we're going to go along the Red Sea. So if you go south from Egypt, you go south. And then you cross the Suez Canal into the Red Sea. And there you have a lot of countries, of course, around both sides. Some of them stable, and some of them with a uh, war state currently. And then my client is going to continue in the Gulf of Aden. So if you take a map, it's, a, it's the only way to go, basically. Mm-hmm. And they are worried, and they call me because they are worried about usually two things. Pirates. There has been a lot of piracy in that area. And they are worried today because of the situation in Yemen. There is a conflict currently ongoing. And so what they want is understanding what is happening in Yemen on one part. Is there still piracy activity in that area? Mm -hmm. Will it have an impact on their activity? And how can they manage that impact and mitigate it? How can they ensure that the trip will go well?
0: I see, I see. Well, that's, yeah, that's a very interesting and a hard problem, I would imagine. How would you help the client when they give you a problem like that?
1: Well, what I do first is, for myself, I try to um, look at the facts. So for piracy, for me, it's quite easy because we have developed in the company a big database of piracy incidents. So I can work from that. That's the first problem he's asking me about. And then the second problem that's a lot more complicated is the situation in Yemen. Right. And there you have, maybe you've heard on the news, there is the war today in Yemen, which involves a lot of different actors, both in Yemen and foreign countries that are involved there as well. And so I try to understand what is happening there. And to do that, I try to find, so of course, media, news articles, I go to Twitter as well to see what is the situation today in a certain area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use also um, sources like international organizations that follow the situation closely. Could you give examples of some organizations? Yeah, for example, there is one called the International Crisis Group. So this is a non-governmental organization mm-hmm. and they specialize in following crises. Another one is the United Nations World Food Programme. It's interesting to use because as a source for me, because they provide food in emergencies. Okay. So they usually know where they are going and they have an understanding of is the port open or closed and what is happening. That's right. Yeah,
0: I want to guess that. Right.
1: Okay. So, but I don't need to be too precise because our parent is never going to go in the MA. He's just worried about whether the war in Yemen will have an impact for him at sea.
0: Right. So um, this is interesting. Uh, You know, I have so many questions I want to ask you. So first, as you said, you are collecting a lot of information to even understand what is going on, Mm -hmm. whether that is with respect to the piracy situation or whether that is with respect to the war situation in Yemen. So Mm -hmm. once you've collected this information, how do you assess the impact that it will have on the client
1: so we think in terms of um, the threat so what is the threat so for example there is a war in Yemen maybe my ship will be targeted by a warring party And then you wonder whether that threat the people have the capabilities to right. threaten you so for example do they have boats to go to sea if they were to attack you directly do they have um long range weapons that could target you maybe in a collateral damage aspect, and then once you have assessed their capability, you are interested in assessing their intent. so are you a target
0: right are you sense.
1: interesting for them
0: Got it okay
1: so um, uh,
0: yeah. could you maybe share examples of how maybe depending on what kind of client it was? The threat level or the risk level that you assessed was different. Same kind of problem, same kind of route, but depending on the client, you thought that the risk was higher or lower. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, on that route I've just described, uh, Yemen today is actually not a big risk factor because there is no intent to target shipping at sea. However, in the case of piracy, today, it's a lower activity in the Gulf of Aden, for example. But it has been a very big risk there for a long time. And so we look at the speed of the vessel and how high it is. Uh, sorry, can you uh, see that again? The what of the vessel? The speed, how fast it travels. Okay. And how high it is above the, the waterline. I see. And also has it openings on the sides. And for example, an oil service vessel, they they sometimes have a very low aft. Mm -hmm. They are low on the sea. Part of the ship is low on the sea. And they have uh, openings on the sides. And so these parents can use to board them. We know from experience that Uh if you're rather low on the sea, and when I say rather low, it can be a few meters still, because uh, climbing parrots have demonstrated their ability to climb up quite high so heights, to a quite higher ship.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. okay.
1: So if there are holes on the sides you can enter, and parrots will do that. However, okay. if the ship is fast, so uh, above uh, 15 knots, say, hmm. if the ship can travel fast, the parrots have less success boarding them. Because they are in small boats, they need to go as fast as your ship to be able to climb in.
0: I see, I see, okay.
1: So a ship that is slower and lower will be more vulnerable than a ship that is higher and faster.
0: Got it, okay. What kind of boats are pirates usually in?
1: Uh, It's very small wooden boats. So probably a bit like... um, the small boat you would use to go fishing and the lake, maybe. I see. But with a big engine. <laughs> okay. So,
0: could you uh, talk a little bit about the kind of risks that you have to consider in this space?
1: You mean in the area, in the region I was talking about?
0: Not necessarily in this region. Uh, so, like you mentioned, piracy is one risk that seems to be coming up a lot. War is definitely another another one. Any other kind
1: of risks? Political unrest, the demonstrations, that kind of thing. For example, in Congo this weekend, there was a referendum. The head of state in Congo has been there for years and is trying to change the constitution get, so that he can be elected once again. And every weekend for the past month, there has been demonstrations in uh, in the big cities in Congo. Got it, okay. But that can be a risk for our clients. Right. And it's actually in Congo, it is one mm mm-hmm. so this kind of thing um, migrants uh that try to cross the Mediterranean can be a risk oh really in what yeah, way? you you take it into account because it has an impact on the way a ship will be uh, operating and it also has a, an impact on whether the client will work on that because if a ship sees a boat in distress, they have to assist that's the that's the law and it's and it's far enough as well, of course, uh, it's normal. So the master has to stop and to help people in distress at sea. And so for our business, it has a big impact because you will have to stop what you're doing, pick up uh, the people, the migrants on their boats in distress. So it's a very difficult operation. So mm-hmm. you put your crew at risk as well because they will have to assist the migrants coming in the ship, for example. Mm-hmm. And then you bring migrants to, to a safe port. So it's a big detour as well.
0: Got it. You said that you keep track of whatever is happening through reading a lot online and keeping track of various articles, both in newspapers as well as on Twitter. Is that usually enough to keep you posted about
1: everything? It's enough to get the big picture and to be able to start and ask questions. Okay. And then you may need other sources after that.
0: Once you have assessed the risk that is associated with various threats, what kind of strategies do you suggest to the client then to mitigate the risk?
1: Well, it's it depends. For example, when we talk about a meeting with migrants in distress at sea, you can't really mitigate that. As in, you will not provide your client with information about they are here you have to move away that's unethical and that's illegal but what you will do however is helping them prepare for meeting with people in distress at sea in very high numbers so you will explain to them how they can prepare their ship so that if they meet them they can assist them and feel and feel good about it that's the best mitigation we can offer hmm because, of course, it's taxing on the crew to meet with people in distress at sea, and 200 other people in a very small boat, some some of them jumping into the sea, others panicking, some of them may be dead already. Oh, wow, okay. you see, yeah. it's a human situation. It's not just a risk on paper. Mm-hmm. So we, we can give them advice about how to make preparations for that. And the, the best way to deal with such a situation is to have some supplies to provide migrants that they are better on board your boat, your boat, and you feel better about it. You are able to do something for them, which is a big part of the human aspect. Right, that makes sense. Okay.
0: When you're working on these problems, do you usually work on your own, or is there a team working on every client situation?
1: Usually, it's one person who does the analysis and the report, but, uh, of course, we talk together. Like, around a coffee break, you can talk about your cases and a bit feel what the others think. And that can uh, give you new ways of looking at a problem, or new sides to investigate. Right, of course.
0: Okay. But, in I mean, going back to what you had mentioned earlier, that usually in this industry, broadly speaking, there are two areas. One is the operational area, and the other is the intelligence area. So within intelligence, mostly people will be working in an analyst sort of role. Are there any other roles?
1: Yeah, you can be what we call a researcher. Mm-hmm. It's someone who collects I intelligence or information. It's a bit like those roles are similar to intelligence services, especially in the US, that's how it works. So when you start, you usually start as a researcher, so someone who is here to gather uh, relevant information, and you give them to someone who will analyze it. So usually, so you start as a researcher, and then you get promoted to an analyst. Yeah, that's how what happened for me,
0: and that's often the case. Got it. But okay. not I see. Okay. And actually, I wanted to ask this uh, before when you were describing the different strategies that you might suggest. So you suggested, you know, what you might do in case of an immigrant, which is you can prepare the client to handle the situation as best as they can. What about pirates?
1: Yeah, so for piracy, it's very interesting because there is a wide range of possibilities. So the first thing we suggest is what we call sheep hardening. So you take a tour of the ship and you identify possible, possible boarding points for pirates where pirates could come on board, okay. and you try to make it harder for them to come on board. Um, so for example, you, you may have seen in those movies about piracy, or, um, or uh, even in the media in pictures, you, you see sometimes a ship with barbed wire all around the ship. That's one of the ways. Um, and then you, you recommend that they have fire hoses going on all around the ship. So when you're in the high-risk area, where you you know the possibility of piracy is higher you have fire hoses outside of the ship uh, pumping water out instantly which makes it really hard to board because you have to climb through the water and the barbed wire
0: wow that's very creative okay
1: so and then you kind of you want to block entry points so maybe you will uh, block uh, some of the accesses completely Mm-hmm. And you, you will find ways to block doors securely so that, that you can block them when you try to get in yourself and to protect yourself from pirates. But it has to be secure enough that you can get out in case of a fire, for example. You you have to be able to remove it quickly, but it has to hold. I see. And so are
0: you the one who tours the ship to find these different solutions? So I don't.
1: It's my colleague who do it, yeah.
0: Okay, got it. Wow, this is... Uh, <laughs> It must be fun brainstorming different ideas on how to stop Absolutely. pirates from coming in.
1: Okay. Absolutely. Okay. We we've been here. We we are a few working on that issue in Bergen, and so we've had a few uh, evenings that spent on a small boat to the size of a pirate boat, trying going near to a, a big ship and trying to see how we would get on board.
0: <laughs> that's that's a nice fun evening, I guess. I don't know. Okay. <laughs>
1: Right. It's
0: Yeah, it is nerdy, but fun. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, can you describe a typical day for us then? What are the different kinds of activities you work on?
1: So, um, I do a lot of monitoring, which means I have a few sources and I, I look at what has happened during the night or what is happening currently. That's the case for privacy, especially. So, every morning I open my computer and I get alerts from different organizations and I also read newspapers to see if there has been new incidents reported and then I put them in our database. Oh, so you maintain an ongoing database? Yeah, for piracy, yeah. There is this and then I look at news uh, from different media. It depends on what I'm currently working on, but I always have an eye on Nigeria, for example, and then it goes depending on the projects. So uh, if I'm working for a client on a certain
0: country, I will look a lot into that. Okay, okay. So as you said, your company has a lot of clients who are in the oil, gas, and shipping yeah. industry. So, yeah. So your focus will be a lot on the risks associated with running ships along different routes. But if you consider maybe other companies in this industry who might have different kind of clients, could you give us examples of? Other kind of industries which require the services of security risk management
1: firms a lot? Yes, absolutely. So, um, of course, the oil industry, it's also uh, platforms and uh, oil installations on uh, or even head offices or offices in some more dangerous countries than others. Mm-hmm. So, there are these. Then you have organizations that go to war areas. Some of them actually use such services for example you have, I don't have one in mind actually
0: I'm guessing um, maybe like a medical aid organizations or something might be going
1: some of them use companies like mine others don't on ethical grounds so that's why I don't have an example for you ah I see I see okay another part of the market is for example um, UN missions or missions of the European Union they do organize What we call election observation missions so when there is an election going on uh, in a country that country can decide to invite observers to come and see that the election goes well and in those cases uh, you can help them in the preparation you prepare the mission before it goes and so then you have a small team of election specialists logistics specialists and security specialists go around the country and identify where observers will be and where they can live and how they can be assisted in case of trouble arising, that kind of thing. I see, okay, got it. That's another example. No, and then you have yeah big companies who uh, work uh, in many different areas.
0: Okay, alright. No, That's super helpful and I'm sorry I interrupted you when you were describing what your typical day is like you were sharing how you spend a lot of your time on monitoring and then I interrupted you, so what else?
1: Yeah, that's the main part actually. Mm -hmm. And then there is all the client-by-client work, so depending on who is asking you to do something. And so that means that you can be working in the country for a couple of hours and then move on to another one, Got it. which I think is very exciting.
0: Yeah, so I mean, at any point in time, how many clients on an average do you have? Uh, three to four
1: we okay. we don't do many more than that at at any one time mm-hmm.
0: and uh do you also have to travel in this job?
1: So I usually work out of my office, but uh, my colleagues usually love to do the travelling part, so uh, they do go on fact finding missions, for example, so they go to a country and try to see for themselves how is the atmosphere. Meeting people who will tell them about dangerous areas, for example, or um, the state of infrastructure, or uh, what they think is going to happen in the coming month, that kind of thing. Right. Or you go and you identify whether a hotel is secure enough. So this is also part of the work. And then I sometimes travel to meet with our clients to present our findings and to assist them on their project in mitigating the security risks aspect. So usually, what are your working hours like then? When do you, you know, on a typical day, when would you get in? When would you leave? Well, this is Norway. And in Norway, people are very attached to uh, work-life balance. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I would typically start working around 8 or 9. Norwegians usually start working between 7 and 8. And then it really depends on how busy I am. I usually am out of the office by 6. But I could be staying much longer depending on projects. It's really... Uh, consulting can be a bit demanding you have slow days and you have uh, heavy days or long days
0: actually you know this brings up an interesting point let's say that you got a client and he ran a situation by you asked you for your recommendation and then followed your recommendation let's take Mm -hmm. the example of the ship that you just gave are you involved with the client once they're actually on that route so let's say the ship is actually now going from egypt via
1: Yemen are you monitoring the situation at that time yes we do uh, we we monitor the situation and we for example we send them daily reports about what is happening today in your area
0: uh, has it ever happened that hey you know what we did everything but looks like the ship got attacked by a pirate or pirates pirates uh,
1: so it's never happened to us in that area of the world But uh, we have been contacted uh, in the Gulf of Guinea by a client, by someone whose ship had been hijacked so taken by parrots. And they wanted to know if we could help them understand the situation. They were not clients before. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. But they called us and they said, look, my ship disappeared. What do you think happened and why? Oh, the
0: ship disappeared.
1: Yeah, of course. Because, of course, when the ship is attacked by parrots, depending on the areas. Now we are talking Gulf of Guinea, so Nigeria, that area, Western Africa. When a ship is attacked by pirates there, they usually are interested in kidnapping the crew or they attack oil tankers and they get gas oil or uh, oil out of the ship onto another one.
0: Oh, got it. And then they'll sell the oil later.
1: Yeah. And in those cases, they are very... um, They know what they are doing, so they cut the communication line. I see. So, the case I'm telling you about, uh, radio had been cut. Some of the position systems had been cut as well. And our clients realized that the ship had been boarded by pirates because there was, uh, they were getting uh, still pictures of the bridge frequently with a new system they had installed. And one of the pictures, all the crew members were lay- lying down on the bridge. Oh so, they God. got a picture of their ship with all the crew members aligned lying down on the ship that's how they knew they they there was a problem
0: Wow, that's scary so what do you do in a situation like that
1: well our job was to uh, point them towards people who could help them regain the ship and to help them understand what had happened and why what do people like that usually do and what can you do now so uh, we were actually able to track the ship for a while and we were able to explain to them look you are carrying gas oil. People in the area are interested in the gas oil. So the ship will probably be taken for between three days to a week. Usually it's more three days than a week. Mm-hmm. And they'll try to transfer as much of the cargo as they can to their ship, their own ship, and then they will release your ship. Got it. And it's likely that they release the ship in this area because that's usually where they do it. I see. So you so just so have, have to wait and watch. Yeah. But of course... That's our part was to explain to them. Here is what happened. Here mm-hmm. are the likely motivations. Here is your ship now, and we think it will be released in this area. And so we will make preparations to assist the crew once the pirates have left. Have left. Got it. So, for example, you can arrange for a medico- medics to be available. Right. That sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure those kind of situations can be extremely
1: tense. Absolutely. And then we were able to point them to um, organizations that can liaise with local governments and help find help there, military in the area, that type of thing.
0: Right, right. Okay. Wow. I mean, something like that can be quite an experience. Absolutely. Okay. So, do you do you enjoy it? I mean, I don't mean enjoy it, but these kind of experiences. Basically, I would like to know, you know, what are the things that are that you find the most interesting about working in this job?
1: Well, I really, really love the fact that we take a situation that's new, and I have to break it down, understanding it, and explaining it. Hmm. And I, and so I like the diversity of. Following some countries very closely, Nigeria, or the piracy issues around the world, for example. But I also like that in some cases I have a client coming and telling me, "I'm going there. Can you help me?" And I had never worked in that country before. Right. So I really like that aspect. And I'm guessing you learn a lot. You learn a lot, and it's a lot about creative solution finding basically, or mm-hmm. creative problem solving. Mm-hmm. So you, you get to analyze a lot of different types of documents. Of course, I, I quoted media, but you can, for example, research financial reports for for some companies. In some cases, you can research, use maps or satellite imagery on Google Earth. Okay, I see. There are a lot of things available in open sources. It could be at the library as well. Got it. You have to uh, determine which how you will really look at it, and then. Cast a broad net to find indications and then filter it so that you can understand the situation you are asked to understand.
0: Yeah, I can imagine, yeah, because you need information in as much detail as you can get it. And so I'm guessing you have to get very creative with where you get this information from. Uh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. And, and you, you, you need to first be able to ask the question, what do I need? Right, right. And then narrow it down.
0: Yeah, so I'm guessing you have to be fairly analytical to do well in this job. Exactly. Okay. Are there any aspects that you find challenging?
1: Well, that's also the challenging part. It's when you have come to understand a big, complicated problem, but now your client is not interesting, interested in understanding it in details. He just wants to know what is relevant for me. Right. And this is where it can be challenging.
0: Right, because you have to apply what you know. To the
1: situation that is specific to the client. Yeah, um, you have to simplify for him as well. So, for example, the conflict in Yemen—it's very complicated. I don't think I understand it fully because it's so complicated, so many aspects. But anyway, for my client, he doesn't want to know all the details of who is who and who has what and who wants what. He wants to know: Are they threatening me or not? Right. And so. At the taking a step back can be challenging.
0: What kind of methods have you used to try and convey your point to the client?
1: Well, I try to do it in a visual way. Okay. So the report we write, we started by writing a very long written reports, 20 pages of explanation. But we realized it's not very usable for a client. They are passionate about what we do, but they are not. They just want <laughs> to know the answer. Yeah. So uh, we moved on to using a lot of visual maps, pictures, uh, symbols, timelines, statistics. So you try to make it visual so that they understand what it's what is important for them.
0: Right, that makes sense. And you saw that make a big difference? Yes, absolutely. It does make a big difference. Okay. And then are there any aspects of this job that you simply don't like as much? uh not yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet oh you're very lucky then that's amazing absolutely yeah so it's clear that you learn a lot in a role like this and uh it it is a very stimulating job also because there's always so much going on here and you have to keep on top of so many different things happening in different parts of the world if you were to think about the kind of skills that you would learn on a job like this and skills that you could potentially use not just in this job, but even in other jobs or other careers, what would come to mind?
1: Well, there is probably all the methodology and the skills around risk management because we took about security risk, but managing risks, it's in different themes or areas. It's in the end, it's the same way of working. You identify vulnerabilities and threats, and you mitigate them. So that's a skill you learn that's really useful. And then there is all the searching, filtering, and then taking a step back to simplify. That's, uh, I think, a skill that is uh, reusable as well.
0: That's true. Yeah, I mean, it, pretty much every job requires you to distill what you're trying to say into something which the other person who knows nothing about what you're trying to say understands. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. All right, this is awesome, Pauline. Uh, I'm going to now switch gears to someone who might be considering this as a job option. You know, they, maybe they hear this podcast and they're like, wow, this sounds very interesting. So, in your opinion, what kind of person do you think would really enjoy himself or herself in this job?
1: I think you need to be very curious. And so you need to feel comfortable with different type of documents, for example, you need to feel comfortable reading about the history of a country, about geography, about um, maybe legal stuff, legal documents. Got it, yeah. You know, you you, you need to be able to uh, tackle different aspects of a problem. So maybe not a specialist in history or a specialist in economics, that's maybe not that important to be a specialist in something, but you need to be... Um, able to quickly grasp content that's very different from one project to the other or from one source to the other. Right.
0: What are the typical timelines of the projects that you work on?
1: Well, it varies a lot. Um, We can have a a call from, of course, a client who wants it done by yesterday. That's very often. Mm. So you need to work very fast. And then we have a bit more long-term projects where you start from the time they've signed their contract and they want to know, or even before that, when they bid on the contract, because they try to estimate security and their needs and security before they win a bid. Right. And then you follow them in the preparations. And then we sometimes follow them during, while the job is ongoing with this intelligence, as I was saying, or monitoring the situation. Right. So we stay in contact.
0: But yeah. usually it's under tight timelines.
1: Yeah, it's usually, usually you have for example, it will last a long time, but you have a tight timeline at the, tip, at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And then it's routine stuff. Got it.
0: Okay. Yeah, so you were saying the kind of person who would enjoy himself or herself in this job, they have to be curious, they have to be able to grasp a lot of information in a very short period of time. Yes. Be able to digest very heavy documents, like legal documents.
1: Yes. Uh, anything else? And you need to be able to... Uh, Synthesize what you found. Some people are very clever and very good at the two first thoughts and then they write very, very long reports that nobody will ever read or will want to read. Mm-hmm. So you need to be able to balance it out. Simplify okay. enough but not too much.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So usually what's the typical background for someone in this role?
1: It's very I think newer generation have my background but you also find people who have a lot of experience in the military and who convert into civilian life through those companies. Ah, oh, I see. So people with intelligence background will usually do the intelligence bit of the security risk management, whereas people from the military will do more of the operational aspects fairly often, cool. or a mix of both.
0: Okay. Um, but, you know, let's say someone is interested in this role, what kind of background would you suggest is
1: ideal? Um political science forces you to look at different aspects of problems like history, economics, law you name it mm-hmm. so that's usually a good background for that and that's usually whom we've worked with actually I see, ok but maybe people who've done journalism and who want to change to something different could do that type of job as well actually
0: yeah that makes sense because they have to do a lot of very similar things, at least in the beginning when they're doing the research for a story on an area. Okay, got it. So, Pauline, you know, I'm sure you've met a lot of risk analysts. The best risk analysts, in your opinion, do you see them doing anything differently?
1: Uh, I think it's about creativity. It's about thinking outside of the box. Mm-hmm. Can you share an example, maybe? It's thinking about the problem nobody had thought about. So it's a bit hard to um, find an example right now.
0: That's okay. We can come back to it later. But basically, you're saying that where you can really stand out is in the creative problem-solving part when you're thinking about the strategies about how to mitigate a certain risk. There is
1: this aspect, yes. And there is also creativity in finding threats. Because if you go with a recipe, you will always think the same way, and maybe your recipe doesn't fit with the context you're looking at. Ah, uh, I see.
0: Is there some thread that you may have found in the past which was very unexpected?
1: Uh, well, in hindsight, it wasn't that unexpected, but uh, four or five years ago, we were working on um, threats in the Mediterranean, mm-hmm. and we... Michael, they thought of the risk of migrants, I sea, which I hadn't thought about. It was not in the news as it is today in Europe. I see. So it wasn't such a big thing you would think about as a threat for a, a client. He was the one to mention, you know, migrations can be a threat to our clients and you should look into it a bit closer.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah, that, that's a good point because I think the whole immigration thing has been in a lot of news now, but we didn't really hear about it four or five years okay. ago. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. All right, so if there is someone who is interested in applying for this role, what is the best way to apply? Do you usually get into a job from school through campus recruitments, or can you apply when you're working and you just want to switch over to this industry?
1: Well, the way I did it is I looked at companies doing doing what I was interested in, in Norway, an organization working on topics. And then I uh, sent my TV and I called them and I said, I really like what you're doing and I would like to meet you. I see. So my boss usually likes to say that I harassed them into hiring me. Which is not true, but. Uh, <laughs> so I guess you have to be persistent. Yeah, there was no opening uh, for. I didn't answer to a job opening, for example. That was. Uh, oh, that's interesting. So how did you convince them? I still don't know. <laughs> For example, I think they were impressed that I found them mm-hmm. and that I found whom to contact. Right. And then uh, I had a background that fit well as well. For example, it's an asset to speak French for some areas. So that was an asset for them.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh,
1: typically, or uh, if I had spoken Arabic, it would have been a big asset as well. That kind of thing. I see.
0: Okay. Yeah, so anything which can help you have an advantage for operating in high-risk areas. Uh, yeah. Okay. Any resources that potential job applicants can use?
1: But I would recommend digging around LinkedIn, LinkedIn groups.
0: What because kind of LinkedIn those,
1: groups? Uh, there are a few about political risks and security risks or maritime parity, or even meth- methodology-related groups, such as uh, there are some about open-source intelligence, for example. So that's a good way to try and and see who is working in that area and uh, dig a bit around people who work for such and such company, what is their background. So that's a good way to find companies and that's a good way to find people who do the job you want to do. Right, right. And then you just cold mail them on LinkedIn? Yeah, or you identify companies and then you research a bit more how you could contact someone there that could help you. Got it. Okay. And maybe ask by uh, start by asking for um, if you could uh, talk to them about their job. I see. I
0: see. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people would be willing to help you yes, if you just want absolutely. to help. Yeah. Okay. All right. So thanks a lot, Pauline. This has been super helpful and interesting. Very, very interesting because I had no idea about this industry up until I spoke with you. So on a parting note, just one last question. If you were to give any advice to someone who is considering this role, what would you say? Um,
1: to stay very open-minded, to be able to uh, grasp a lot of things, you need to stay very open-minded. That's the first one. And the second one is, I think, by finding the right people to talk to in the company if you want to get in, you already display skills you need for the job. Yeah, that's
0: right. Okay. All right. Okay. Thanks a lot, Pauline. This has been extremely helpful. You're in Norway right now, right? Absolutely. So what's the time right now? It's eight o'clock. Eight. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're off to work now? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, then happy researching and happy monitoring. Thank
1: and you. <laughs> thank
0: you so much for your time.
1: You're welcome. It was a pleasure.
0: Yeah. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was Pauline with a lot of interesting details on the security risk management space. I definitely learned a lot, including how to make sure that the next time I'm on a ship, I'm not attacked by pirates. I sincerely hope that you found today's show as useful and interesting as I did. If you have any feedback to share with us, or if you have suggestions on professions that we should include in our upcoming episodes, please do share your ideas with us. Our email is learneducatediscover at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at LED underscore curator. Also, we'll be sharing show notes from today's episode, as well as links to resources that Pauline mentioned on today's show on our blog. You can find our blog on Medium. The URL is medium forward slash at LED underscore curator. Again, we have many interesting people lined up to share their perspectives and insights on various industries and jobs, so stay tuned. Until the next episode, take care.